Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here again. I'm uh, very blessed to be back. Thank you guys for allowing me to step in. I really enjoy uh, coming back to my alma mater church, as I say, in the church I was in college. So I'm blessed to be back here. Last week, we were looking at Jesus as the resurrection in life in John chapter 11. So this week, we're going to have the part two of that message. So if you would, go ahead and flip with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 17 through 46. John chapter 11, 17 through 46 says this. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, that is Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she said these things, she went her way secretly and called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they who... Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. The many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Well, when I was five years old, one of the first movies that I had ever gone to see in a theater was the motion picture The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, based on the book by C.S. Lewis. The story recalls the adventure that four children have in a mystical land who need to be rescued by the death 
and resurrection of a caricature of Christ in the form of a lion. As any young lad would be, I was captivated by the sense of wonder and adventure that the Pevensey siblings had in a land that was entirely new to them. Much to the dismay of my mother, who was an English major from Michigan State, I never actually bothered to pick up the book and read it. It wasn't until the age of 15 that that had changed. Around this time, I had made a decision that I was truly going to live for the Lord Jesus, and the Bible was no longer just a story that I learned as a kid. As I picked up the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, I realized how God had so patiently been standing in the shadows of my life, waiting for me to make a decision about who he was. The point of the story is just that. It could be described in one single question. Who on earth is the lion? Can he really help restore Narnia and save the children from the witch? It's a question that's not answered in a way that you would expect. The word lion of the title is almost just a placeholder for the word anticipation. We're introduced to the wardrobe in chapter 1. And in chapter 2, the witch. Surely the lion would show up in chapter 3, but he's not there. Nor is he in chapters 4, 5, or 6. It isn't until chapter 7 that we're even given his name, Aslan, in a glimpse of his forthcoming sacrifice. In chapter 8, Mr. Beaver gives us a little description of who the lion is. He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood, but not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time. But the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this moment. Upon hearing this, Susan and Lucy ask, is he safe? To which Beaver answers with his memorable line, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. At the end of the movie, it's put this way. He is not a tame lion, to which Lucy replies, no, but he is good. God has a strange way of showing up in life at just the right time. The question is not, is God tame? Is he predictable? Does he show up when I would like? The question is, do I trust him in the waiting? As we think on our text for this morning, you're going to realize that a lot of people who saw Jesus had some very bold expectations for him. They wanted a tame lion. As the days slipped by, Martha and Mary could do nothing but wait in eager anticipation for Jesus to show up and to save their brother. Does this Jesus have the power to do so? Does he come through when we need him most? Or are we stuck in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 just without seeing the lion? Stuck in the town of Bethany as Jesus stands. Four ways to recognize Jesus for who he is in our lives. Before we do that, would you bow your head as we ask God for his grace and looking at his word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to come and gather before you. We thank you for the rights that we have, that we can come and freely worship you, that we can remember the meaning of the season that we're in. God, I just pray that you would bless your word before us this morning. I pray that you would speak to us in a way that's profound, that's new, that's refreshing. Even if we've heard the story before, God, I just pray that you would speak to us in a way that doesn't just challenge us, but change us. I pray these things. I pray that you would keep your word on our hearts through Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. All right, I think you might have a wall-side windows. Uh, I could change here. 
All right, I'm going to continue on while Jeff fusses with that. So I want to uh, start by coming back to the background that we kind of looked at last week, which was the people who are in the story before this chapter happens. And it's really important to take a look at who the players in this story are. So I want to start with Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 says this. Now it happened as they went out that he entered a certain village, and there a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Round of applause to Jeff. Good job, Jeff. He came through for See, God shows up at the right time, right? He showed up at the perfect time there. All right, Luke 10, 38 through 42. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I want you to notice it's really important to step back and see the characters in the story here, to see the temperament of Mary and Martha. Notice the temperament of Martha. She's very bold. She's a busybody. She's going to tell you what she thinks. Very important. Mary is reserved. Mary doesn't want to go uh, out and share her feelings right away. She's very reserved, contemplative. She sits at the feet of Jesus to listen. Remember that. Very important to see how Mary and Martha react as we come to how they respond to Jesus working in the resurrection of Lazarus. But see here, the first thing that we notice about who Jesus is, is that Jesus will always come through for us. Jesus always will come through for us. Jesus will always come through for us even when we are hopeless. Verses 17 through 19. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. It's important to note here just how hopeless Mary and Martha really were at this point. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. They have mourners who are coming to comfort them. What we learn here is that Mary and Martha were probably some prominent people. They, they had a lot of people come meet them. They had people travel to meet them. And Bethany, a town near Jerusalem. In fact, it was probably the Jews who just one chapter earlier, remember when the disciples were concerned about the Jews killing Jesus? It was probably those Jews who came out to meet and weep with Mary and Martha. So the Jews are here. There's people comforting Mary and Martha. But I want you to understand just how hopeless their situation was. The text points out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. And as a Hebrew reader, you would see that and you'd understand exactly what the Apostle John is trying to point out. According to the Pharisees, souls wandered their bodies for three days after death before departing for the afterlife. All of this was done to make Jesus' miracle irrefutable. Lazarus was in the grave for four days, meaning the three days is gone. There's no hope of resuscitation. If Jesus raises him from the dead, you can't just accredit it to the soul finding the body once again. But that's what the Pharisees thought. They assumed that after three days and the body began to decay is when the soul finally leaves the body. And so after four days, Mary and Martha are completely hopeless. 
Job 17, 15 through 16 says this, Where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Will they go down to the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? And maybe you felt this way too. Maybe you felt that your three days have passed. Maybe you felt that it's too late for Jesus to show up in your life, just like the family. But I want to remind you that Jesus comes through for us even when we are hopeless. Promised salvation surely will come. Romans 8.24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Look, if we never had a problem, if we never had to hope, we wouldn't know that Jesus could solve them. We wouldn't know that Jesus is our hope. In a world that tells us, hey, you have to solve your problems right away, you have to find this instant gratification, we're told to wait patiently in hope. We're told to wait patiently. If you could see what Jesus had for you right away whenever you demand it, you would never anticipate in hope what he has for us. It's like a kid on Christmas, right? It's like Christmas, part of the fun is just the anticipation of Christmas, And as a kid, the thing that I always wanted for Christmas were these uh, metal tractors. And the anticipation of waiting to get these these toy tractors, I just, I couldn't stand it. So what would I do is I would, when my mom would wrap the gifts, put them under the tree, I'd often go out and I would shake the box a little bit to see if I could hear the rattling of the axle on the tractor and to to see if I could tell what I was going to get. Well, one time I went to go pick up the present, And if my mom is listening to this, she doesn't know this, but one time I was going to pick up the present, and as I picked it up, the package completely tore open. And uh, I took a peek inside and saw that it was the Alice Chalmers tractor that I had been wanting for so long. And so I took a look, and I quickly put it back, and I sat down on the couch, and my mom walked out, and she was like, what's wrong? And I was sitting there all concerned. The anticipation was gone, right? I knew what I was getting for Christmas, and I was embarrassed by the fact that I knew, right? Well, the hope in Jesus is like that. It's the anticipation in Jesus that drives us to him, that has us hope in him. So understand, promised salvations will surely come, for we hope for what we do not see. But secondly, those promised salvations come, Jesus comes through for us, even when he seems too late. Verses 20 and 21. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. And again, I want you to notice the temperaments of Mary and Martha here. I want you to see how they respond. And what I want to encourage you is, don't give up on Jesus because of your life circumstances. See here that Martha, according to her personality, is very aggressive. She's very assertive. Luke 10.40, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Martha's going to tell you what she thinks. And so she tells Jesus what she thinks. And you might say, hey, rightfully so, right? Didn't Mary and Martha ask for Jesus to come? And what did we say last week? Jesus waited for two days? And so Martha comes out to meet him when she hears that he's coming. God, why 
Did you wait two days? Don't you know that my brother would not have died had you been there? What does Mary do? Mary, who is reserved and contemplative, who sat at Jesus' feet, doesn't even come out. I think she's done with God at this point. Jesus, I sat at your feet, and you didn't come when I expected you to, when I needed you. Jesus, you didn't show up, and I sat at your feet and listened. But what the sisters don't realize is that God shows up at just the right time. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Beloved, don't give up on Jesus just because you don't feel like he came through when you needed him. God will come through for us even when it seems like it's too late. Now is the acceptable time to get right with God. Now is the acceptable time to pursue God. Now is the time to get busy by being about God's will. And I promise you, those who are about God's will will surely find him. I have seen God at work in my life when I have chosen to be about his will, even when it seemed like he was too late, even when it seemed like things were hopeless. I found that his timing often meets us when we meet him in duty. But see that Jesus will come through for us even when we don't know how he will, even when we don't understand what the hope is, verses 22 through 24. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. We'll observe here that sometimes faith has a very strange mixture of doubt and unbelief. I think Martha really wants to believe in Jesus. She claims to believe in Jesus. She says, hey, look, I know he's going to rise again, but she's a little confused on how it's going to work. She essentially repeats the pharisaical version of the resurrection, which was the belief that as the last day, all the humans who had ever lived would rise again. Martha didn't know the specifics of how Jesus was going to work. But understand that even if you don't know, even if Jesus comes through in a way that you don't expect, it's good to give to him the honor and the praise and the faith that even if we don't know the specifics, God will work things out in his own way. Because sometimes God's ways just don't make sense to us. Sometimes he shows up in a way we don't expect. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job 33.13 says this, Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. Don't put God in a box in the way that you expect him to come through for you. The work of God is often uncertain, but it is there. God is working in your life even when you can't see it. And the way that God works in your life, a verse that I am reminded of is this, Psalm 12.6. It's not on the screen, so just listen. Psalm 12.6. The words of the Lord are like pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. Jesus comes through for us when we don't know how he will, like words 
like silver, the words of God are like silver, tried and purified seven times. And so I was curious, what does the process of refining silver look like? What does it mean for Jesus to come through for us like silver being refined? And this is what I found online as an analogy. A woman was having a Bible study with her fellow women in the church, and they came to this verse. They were studying what it meant for silver to be refined. And so she knew a silversmith, and she called him up and asked him about the process. You may have heard this before, but this is how it goes. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest as to burn away all the impurities. The woman thought about how God holds each one of us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that says, he sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time that the silver was being refined. The man answered that yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eye on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was left for a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. The woman sat in silence for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy when I see my image in it. And I hope this analogy is true in your life. I hope you see God's often mysterious, uncertain work in a way in your life that his image is on your heart. God comes through for us in the refining of silver. Jesus will come through for us even when we don't know how, just like in the case of Mary and Martha. And this is how Jesus responds to that. This is what Jesus says. See that Jesus is our resurrection in life. Jesus is the hope that we have. So we must have faith in who Jesus is and who he claims to be. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Look, we have to take Jesus at his word and who he says he is. Martha has essentially repeated a doctrinal belief about the resurrection. And so Jesus takes that dogma and turns it on his head. He takes that dogma of Mary and he turns it upside down. He says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. Well, understand, Jesus is more than just a doctrine. Jesus is more than just a religious talking point. Jesus is who he claims to be. And throughout the Gospel of John so far, we've been confronted about a lot of evidence of who Jesus is. There are seven different I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And here's what we have so far. John 6.35, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 8.12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 10, 7, then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Is Jesus your life? Is Jesus the resurrection in your life? The hope that you have. We have to know him. We have to take him at his word and who he says to, he is and what he shows he can do. You can have all of your doctrine right. 
You can be like Martha and create neat little scripts of who you think Jesus is. You can sit in the pew and fill out your bulletin and fill out your sermon notes and still not have the presence of God in your life if you don't believe who Jesus is. And so my challenge to you is this week, every day this week, go back and remind yourself who Jesus is. Go ahead and read these six, seven different statements of who Jesus says he is and reflect on if you take them at his word. We have to be about who Jesus is. We have to trust who Jesus is. We have to know who he is in our lives. And it's through that that we can have life because of Jesus. Verses 26 and 27. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. It's through knowing Jesus that we find our solution. And it's not a temporary solution. Jesus is not a temporary solution to your problem. Jesus instead is truly challenging whether or not Martha actually sees him for who he is. That is where life is found. 1 John 5.12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so I want to ask you, how satisfied are you in life because of Jesus? Look, Christ has not conquered your affections if he must compete for your attention in life. If you can have those things without him, he is not the one who has conquered your affections. We have to have life through believing in who Jesus is. And I'm convinced that the less of the presence of God in your life, the less that you know him personally, the more things you need in life outside of him. I think often entertainment is a substitute for the joy of the Lord. The more entertainment you have, the less joy of the Lord you need. And the more joy of the Lord you have, the less entertainment you need. But I want you to understand, notice how Martha makes a verbal confession about who Jesus is. She actually goes and accepts who Jesus is. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. And how we're called to do the same thing with Jesus. Romans 10, 8 and 9 says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look, Jesus is not just looking for lip service here. Jesus isn't just looking for Martha to give him lip service. No, Jesus is looking for Martha to make an actual confession that she believes and trusts who he is. And Jesus isn't just a fire insurance policy, right? He's not just your eternal insurance. He's more than that. He's our life. He's our resurrection. Are you about that? Are you about who Jesus is? Do you have life? Do you confess that Jesus is Lord and have him in your heart? And notice how Martha does that. Notice her response. I think she trusts who God is. She takes him at his word. But see the, her response here. And notice, we must share Jesus with others. Verse 28, And when she had said these things, she went out her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. We'll be willing to share Jesus with whom God lays on your heart. It says Mary did so secretly, probably as to avoid all the crowds following them out. She goes and seeks Mary personally, but she diligently does what God asks of her. 
And Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So I want to ask you, who might God be calling to you to share the gospel with this morning? What names might come to heart when you think about sharing Jesus with others? Every single one of us in this room has those around us who we need to be sharing Jesus with. Never resist the tug of the Holy Spirit at your heart to share whom God lays upon your heart. Don't be ashamed. The gospel, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to stand up for Jesus when no one else does. Be bold and share Jesus with those around you. And maybe if you're not in Martha's shoes, but you're in Mary's shoes, Here's this for you as well. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look, Jesus is there. He's calling out to us. The teacher is calling for you. Would you just let him in? Would you just let him come and be a part of your life? Because see that we must come to Jesus eagerly. Notice Mary's response, verses 29 through 31. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw that Mary rose up and quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Notice Mary's response is immediate. Hey, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And what does Mary do? She gets up. And she goes out. The one who was done with Jesus just a moment ago, the one who wanted nothing to do with the, with the man that she sat at his feet and listened to. Luke 10, 42, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I think she's coming back to the feet of Jesus. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what decision you've made before about Jesus. What matters is the decision that you make now. Do you choose to come to Jesus eagerly when he calls out to you, like Mary? And our response shouldn't depend on what others are doing. Notice the people get up and follow Mary, right? They're a little bit confused as to what she's doing. Maybe she's going to weep at the tomb. But they get up and they follow her out, out of curiosity, out of concern, But I want to encourage you, when Jesus calls out to you to meet you, do so independent of what other people think or the way that other people follow. Choose to follow Jesus, not just because of somebody else's faith, but because God calls out to you. Live fully and independently in Christ apart from what society says. And that's a tough thing to do. That is a tough thing to do in the world today. Leonard Ravenhill says this, You know, we live in a world where we're more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. And how true is that? We live in a world where to follow Jesus is more feared upon than it is to live in sinfulness. But I encourage you, run after Jesus, regardless of what anyone else thinks. Pursue Jesus, no matter how others respond. And thirdly, what we know about Jesus here is that Jesus shares our pain Jesus knows the pain that we're going through. And see that we should express all of our emotions to God. Verse verse 32, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. 
And notice her response here. It's kind of the same response that Martha gives. But what do we know about Mary's personality? She's reserved. She's contemplative. She wouldn't just say these things had she not really felt them. I think she comes to bring herself back at the feet of Jesus, to sit at the feet of Jesus again and and wail out to him her desperation. Do you have a place where you find Jesus, where you sit down and bring yourself to the feet of God? Do you continually bring yourself back before God and throw yourself at his feet? She knew where to meet with God. Do you have a time? Do you have a space? Do you have a place where you're willing to meet with God? And maybe the reason why you say, no, I don't really have the presence of God is because you're willing to live without it. Maybe by choosing to not have a place and time to meet with God, by not bringing yourself on your knees before the Lord is why you don't see him answer your struggle. We should express our emotions to God. And Mary repeats what Martha has said, but I imagine this is in desperation according to her temperament. It reminds me of what we read in the Psalms, Psalm 18.6. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Look, we should bring all of our afflictions to God. I'm convinced God hears the desperate cry of his children. He hears the cry we bring before him. Notice the difference. Martha comes because she's upset. Mary comes to bring herself at the feet of Jesus when he calls out to her. And see that Jesus is acquainted with our affliction, verses 33 through 35. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And it's the shortest verse in the whole Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. And it's one of the most powerful ones when you consider how Jesus shares in our pain. God understands your pain. You might feel like there's no one to relate to. You might think that there's not a single person who has put themselves in your shoes. But there is one in whom you can relate. Isaiah 55, 3 and 4, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and rejected, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Look, God came to this earth in the form of flesh. Jesus came, which is what we remember in the season we're in, to come and to bear our pain, to bear our sorrows, to bear our burdens, and there's not a single thing that you can go through that Jesus didn't take the, the, the nails in his hands for, that Jesus doesn't understand himself. Hebrews 5, 7 says, Who in the days of his flesh he had offered up prayer and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Well, I want you to understand, Jesus is in your shoes. Jesus came as a man, wept, blied, bled, and died. Jesus knows exactly what it is that you're going through. And understand that Jesus has power over that affliction that you're going through. Verses 36 through 38. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. So here we have Jesus who is sharing in the sorrow 
And those who follow Mary out, again, probably those who don't really like Jesus or are about what he's about, and they question him. They doubt him. They say, could he have not have raised him from the dead? Didn't he scratch the eyes off, uh, 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 the scales off the eyes of the blind people and, and make them see again? Couldn't, couldn't he have, surely he could have prevented him from dying if he is who he says he is. But don't doubt what God is doing in your life. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Look, all things will work according to the will of God for his glory. The people standing by the grave didn't understand the reason why Jesus waited, the reason why Jesus delayed, which was that Lazarus may die to bring Jesus more glory through the resurrection of Lazarus. God is at work even when you don't see it and even when you don't feel it. And just because God doesn't answer you in the way that you expect or in the immediate way that you're assuming doesn't mean he isn't working all things according to the counsel of his will. Don't be like the crowd and assume God is not on the move in your life. And here's how he is. Here's what we see in the last few verses here. That Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus opens the grave in our life. Verses 39 through 42. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who is dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they went and took the stone away from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted his, up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Look, Jesus' invitation as our Redeemer is to open the grave this morning. Jesus rolls away that stone in your life. And he does so in a way that those around you may see what God is doing. He says, I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this. See Ezekiel 37, 5 and 6. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord Finishes it with this, Ezekiel 37, 13. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. Look, God is at the door. He is calling to you. The teacher has come, and he wants to take away the stone. He wants to open your grave. He shares in your pain, but he wants to roll away the stone. And the next thing that Jesus does is he calls us out of the darkness. When he's opened up, that lends into our life. Verses 43 and 44. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who died came out bound, hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, said to them, let loose him and let him go. Look, Jesus calls us out of the darkness. God has rolled away the stone, the challenge of sin and desperation in our life so that we may be called out. Lazarus, come forth. And God offers the same invitation to you this morning. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you this morning out of the darkness? Do you hear Jesus calling you into a better life, a fuller life, a deeper life than the trial and the anguish that we may experience? And when we're called out of that grave, when he rolls the stone away and calls out to us, we're left with a decision to make. We must make the choice to turn to him. Verse 45, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen these things that Jesus did believed in him. And whether or not you have accepted Christ as your Savior or not, we all have the same decision to make, to know who Jesus is and to be about what he's about. Joshua 24, 15 says, and, it, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I have made the decision, and what a wonderful time that we have in Christmas and the time to remember what Christ did when he came for us, that he rolled the stone away from our grave, that he took on our punishment, bore our sins. What wonderful opportunity we have to make the decision to be about what he's about, to choose to follow him. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We must make a choice who it is we're going to live for. And understand that Jesus is the one whom will always come through for us, even when you don't see it, even when you don't expect it. He comes through for us. He is our resurrection and our life. He's the one that rolls the grave away. He has power over our affliction, even in ways we don't expect. And he is our redeemer who raises us from the dead for those who profess faith in him. And so as you continue the series in John without me, I hope you continue to ask yourself, who is Jesus really to you? I hope as we consider the season that we're in, the time of the nativity, that we would make ourselves right and reflect and get our priorities right before God. I encourage you, don't wait a day to do so. If you aren't truly living for God, you're making a great mistake. Choose who Jesus is in your life. Choose to bring yourselves to the feet of Jesus. Look, I've seen him roll away some pretty massive stones in my life, and I'm pretty sure he can roll yours away too. Would you please stand with me as we close our service this morning in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege that we have to come before you and to have a relationship with you. I pray that it if there's anyone out there who doesn't know Jesus hearing this this morning, that they would make the choice to come to you, knowing that you've taken on our punishment to roll away that gravestone, that you've borne our sins and our iniquity, that you share in our burden so that we may know you, trust in you, profess faith in you. And God, I pray if there are those who have made that decision but are walking away, I pray you would call them back. The teacher is calling, and I pray we would respond. God, work in our hearts. Continue to transform us into the image of yourself, the silver that is purified in the fire. May you see your image in us. May you, every day we live, may you turn us more like Christ. I pray you bless us all as we go our separate ways and keep yourself on our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.
Thank you. You are dismissed.